Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. The scriptures for this weekend talk to us about what faith is, its meaning as well as what it looks like. I'll never forget Pope John Paul II once said, Faith, the word faith itself, is the least understood word in all vocabulary. Well, that's so true. If I were to ask a group of people individually what faith is, define it, they would all have different answers. Well, in the first reading from Abraham, as well as in the Gospel, both Abraham and Jesus tell us exactly what faith is, what it looks like. Go into the first reading. Here we have Abraham, called by God. Now, Abraham is the great role model of faith. He is the father of our faith, the father of the Jewish as well as the Christian faith. And God calls Abraham now into mission, into service. Now, Abraham right now is living in Ur, which is present-day Iraq. And now God wants him to basically take everything that he has and move. Move to a foreign country, a foreign land. Now, realize the context in which this is all set in. Abraham is in his 80s. He's living a very comfortable life. He owns his own land, his own property. He owns animals that he raises and sells for income. He has all of his family living around him. So he has everything, everything in the world. And yet now God asks him to leave it all behind, to pull up and leave, you know, to take his entire family, everything that he has, leave his lands and his property behind and go, go to another country, to a foreign land with foreign languages and foreign customs and values. And so Abraham does just that. The key He had faith. He had a deep abiding faith in God. He trusted that God knew exactly what Abraham needed and that God would protect him. And so, did Abraham know exactly where he was going? No, not at all. He didn't have any GPS. He didn't have any AAA triptych maps. No. Does he know God's plan, plan of salvation? No, he didn't. But nonetheless, with faith, he trusted in God. Now, was he in control of his life? No, not at all. And that's the key. With faith and trust in God, he turned himself over to the Lord. He turned himself over to a higher power, that is, of God. He let go and allowed God to control his life. And see, that's why Abraham was looked upon as the father of faith. He is a great role model of faith in God. Now, if you look up and down sacred scripture, you see people called by God and they respond with faith, the faith of Abraham. You know, they completely trust in God. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what they're going to do. And yet they have faith. They have faith and they trust that God wants nothing but the best for them. Now, compare and contrast people that don't have faith. Look at Adam and Eve. You know, 
they essentially want to control their own lives. You know, in that mere grasp of the fruit, of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, basically what they're saying to God is, you don't control my life. I do. My life is about my will, doing my thing, when I want to, when I want to. God, I do not need you in my life. And yet Abraham is just the opposite. He says to God, I turn myself over to you, a higher power. I have faith and trust in you. Now notice, I don't know if you did, the question that Abraham asks God. He says, how will I know that I possess this land? Now, that's a question of doubt. It's a question of Abraham second-guessing himself. Is this really what I should be doing? Is this really what God wants me to do? Well, how often do we do the same thing? You know, doubt enters into our life from time to time in various magnitudes, in various reasons. Maybe we doubt, was this the job I should take? You know, is this the place I should be living in? Is this the person I should be marrying? You know, we all have doubts. We all have second guesses, even in faith. You know, we say to ourselves, you know, can I trust what is going on? Is this really the will of God? You know, how can I really know that this is what God wants me to do? And so Abraham doubts. Now, what's so important is how God handles this. Does he become angry? Does he pounce on Abraham? No. In fact, just the opposite. He draws closer to Abraham. He gives him the reassurance that what he's doing is exactly what God wants him to do. And how is that? Because God wants Abraham to now enter into a covenant. And it's a very special covenant. It's a covenant in which each gives their lives over to the other. That's why God, in the first reading, he says to Abraham, he gives him the list of animals that he must collect for the sacrifice. He tells them to cut them in half. He says, put half of the animal here and half over there. And this is very true for covenants in the ancient world. Life covenants, if you were to turn yourself over to another person, give your life and depend upon your life for the other person, this is the type of covenant you made. You cut animals up, you put half on one side and half across the other, and then you walked in between those halves. And in doing so, it was a symbolic gesture that you are giving yourself over to this person. Now, if you failed at any means to abide by the covenant, what would happen to those animals would happen to you. You would die. And so this was a very, very serious and important covenant that God was initiating with Abraham. Remember, God was the one that wanted this covenant. And so Abraham, he does just that. He prepares the animals and he falls into a trance. And in that trance, he sees this torch of flame and the torch passes between those animals. It's God. That torch symbolized God. And it's God who took the initiative to begin this covenant. God wants to give his life over to Abraham. Now, we don't hear it in the scriptures for this weekend, but later on, Abraham will walk between those animals as a gesture in which now Abraham gives his life over to God. Now, what's really happening here? I think God is giving Abraham a glimpse of the goal. The goal, the finishing line. Essentially, God is giving Abraham the reassurance and the motivation, the inspiration to tell him what he is doing is right. 
And see, once Abraham sees that, then he knows. Now he's motivated, inspired to know this is where God wants me to be. This is what God wants me to do. And so he sees that glimpse of the goal and he remains steadfast in his faith. Well, I think that's a beautiful segue into the gospel. I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing with his apostles. He's giving them all a glimpse of the goal as he takes them up to the mountain to be transfigured before them. You know, we all need a glimpse of the goal. You know, throughout our life, in all aspects of our life, whether it's work, play, athletics, whatever it is, we always need a glimpse of the goal, some sort of motivation, inspiration to keep us going so doubt doesn't get the best of us, so we don't fail or give up. I'll give you some great examples. You know, you're running a marathon, 26 miles. Well, the first 10 miles, after a while, your body aches. It pains. And you say to yourself, well, I don't know if I can do this. In fact, I just don't think I can do it. And then you give up. Well, if you're running that marathon and maybe you're a mile away from the finishing line and you see that finishing line, you get a glimpse of the goal. What happens? You say to yourself, I don't care how hurt I am, how bad I feel. I see the finishing line. It's so close. I can do it. I can muster enough energy to get across the finishing line. So you motivate yourself, you inspire yourself, and what happens? You finish the race. Or maybe you get on a plane. It's a long plane ride. You're traveling someplace in Europe. Maybe it takes seven, eight hours. We get on the plane ride. After two hours, you say, okay, everything's okay. But after three, four, five, six hours, you start antsing. You start becoming anxious. You start walking up and down the aisles. You say to yourself, I can't do this anymore. I've got to get out of here. The walls are creeping up on me. But then the pilot, he makes the announcement. He says, you know, we have just one more hour to go before we touch down. Well, now you've seen a glimpse of the goal. Now you say to yourself, one hour, that's it? You know, I could do that standing on my head. I've already done six hours, one more hour is nothing. Well, now you've motivated yourself, inspired yourself to complete the journey. Well, I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing in the gospel. Now realize, Jesus is making his way towards Jerusalem. It's only a matter of just a few days in which Jesus is going to give his life over on the cross. He realizes his apostles are going to see him dead, hanging on a cross. What's going to happen? They're going to have doubt. In fact, they're even going to think about giving up. Well, Jesus can't have that. The mission must continue. What does Jesus have to do? He's got to motivate the apostles. He's got to inspire them so that they don't give up. And so what does he do? He takes them up the mountain. And what happens? He gives them a glimpse of the goal. And he does it in two ways. First and foremost, the apostles see Elijah and Moses. Now, Elijah and Moses, you have to realize, have been dead for centuries and centuries and centuries before Jesus or the apostles were even born. And yet the apostles now see them alive, talking to Jesus. The first inspiration, now the apostles realize that after we die, we become immortal. We have and receive eternal life. We are going to live forever. And so now that motivates them to continue on. The second glimpse of the goal 
is when Jesus is transfigured. The light of heaven breaks through this world and illuminates Jesus. And in doing so, the apostles see it. Now they see the light of heaven. Now they know heaven truly exists. It awaits for us all. And again, they are motivated. They're inspired. That's why Jesus tells the apostles that they immediately must come down the mountain and make their way to Jerusalem. They can't stay up on that mountain. They must continue the mission. Well, so too do we. You know, we need a glimpse of the goal, especially in our own faith. And that's why it's so important for us to come to Mass every week, because every week we get a glimpse of the goal. After the consecration of the bread and the wine into the body and blood of Christ, we look upon the altar and we see God. We see a glimpse of the goal. We see God. And we know that after our life in this world ends, we will be with God for all of eternity. Now, after the consecration, I stand behind the altar and I say to myself, I am six inches away from God. And that is a glorious feeling that all of us feel. And so we get a glimpse of the goal and that's important for us. Why? Because it motivates us and inspires us to continue to live a life of faith every day of our life. That's why at the end of the Mass, the priest says to the people, you know, go now to love and serve the Lord. Well, just like the apostles did not stay on the mountain but continued on to Jerusalem, so we don't stay in church. No, we go back into the world, you know, inspired and motivated to continue to live our life of faith, just like the apostles did, to continue the mission, because we've seen a glimpse of the goal. Strongly encourage you, take some time this week, reread the gospel. It's a glimpse of the goal, a glimpse that we see every week, every time we come to Mass. And that helps us, it motivates us, continue to live a life of faith. And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.